Thank you, Natalie. I, I don't know all the words, but I tried, I'm trying to sing that along with you, Natalie, as you sang it, because that is the way I feel. And maybe you as well. How many times will you pick me up? My grace is sufficient for you. And, and I know it, it's been a couple years now when I preached on that verse, but uh, whenever I hear that verse, I think of the sufficiency and that often... Uh, when, when somebody says, have you had enough to eat? I've had sufficient. Well, in my mind, sufficient means, well, it's okay. You know, whatever. Uh, but that's not what that word means. Sufficient means like when I pulled into the gravel pit over there and uh, with my little trailer, and I asked them, I need a trailer load of sand, and that I, when I said that, and they said, okay, they're firing up the equipment out there, and I stepped out of the, the little uh, office, and I heard this, <laughs> and I turned and looked, and here's this huge front-end loader with a bucket that we could live in, and it goes, and it slides, and it picks up that uh, load of sand, and I'm thinking, <gasps> oh, no, and, and it wheels around there, and then it runs right up to my trailer, and he dumps this load of sand in my trailer, and the, the trailer just whoop, right down on top of my tires, and that's sufficient, more than enough. And I was going like this, and stop, and stop, uh, so that I'd be able to at least drive out of, the, out of the lot there, but that's the sufficient. My grace will dump more than you can handle. And that's what that word means, and so thank you, Natalie, for sharing that song with us. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the last uh, few weeks, we've been looking at our bodies that will be changed. And that, uh, Paul is writing this because people are getting discouraged because their parents are getting old and dying and they're feeling old and their bodies are, are falling apart like old tents in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and they're getting rips and tears and sags and, and just not the same old tent. And, and so Paul is saying, don't get discouraged. These are not the latest in fashion. And these bodies are not the latest in function. Things will change for the better, not for the worse. He's writing to uh, a Christian, uh, to a believing body of believers here. And so things will get better, not worse. Yes, they will get a little worse as time goes on, but nothing as comparison to what comes out of the grave, a, a shriveled up grain of corn, a kernel of corn goes into the ground. It's got to die if it's going to come forth as a stock and produce more or have greater living, have greater effectiveness. And that is a picture that Paul is trying to get across to us that our effectiveness will be greater following our deaths or, you know, Jesus said, you, uh, you don't really die. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he be, were dead, my mom and dad, and, and mom and dad Phillips, 
they are dead, they're in the grave, yet shall they live. But whosoever liveth, that's me right now, and believeth in me shall never die. So in reality, uh, I'm not going to die, but if the Lord does not come back and snatch his bride away while I'm still uh, alive, if he doesn't come back, I will die. And in a hundred years, probably a hundred percent of this group will die um, if he doesn't come back. Now, I, I, think, he, I think he's going to come back. I go, uh, go fishing with a, a man, two men, and about, uh, we started this about seven or eight years ago, and uh, we go to Canada, and we go fishing. And every year he asks me, how, uh, how long until the Lord comes back? I tell him the same answer every year, five years, within five years. And he said, but uh, you said that the first time we came, that's seven years ago. Yeah, within five years we're going to go. I just have to keep changing it every, every year, five years. I think he's going to come back, but he might not. He might not come back while I'm still alive. And so I draw encouragement from this, from 1 Corinthians 15. I hope you do as well. Uh, the, we have, or we're going to receive transformed bodies is what it says here. But what happens between our transformed body and our lifeless body? Because my dad died seven years ago, and my mom died five years ago, or around there. And uh, so what is happening to them? Because what we read here in uh, verses 51 and verse 52, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. This is uh, something that should be exciting that we don't know all about. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Uh, this uh, resurrection thing is going to be a group thing. It isn't that mom and dad are sleeping in some pine box someplace, waiting for Jesus to come, because Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, when, when you die, as much as some of you want to hang around and torment your husband uh, or spouse uh, as a ghost, ooh, it doesn't happen. Now, I believe in ghosts, but I'm going to have to explain that. A ghost isn't a departed person. Uh, the ghost, as I believe, is uh, one of Satan's angels. We might call them demons. I believe that we have demons that are watching us, and we have angels that are watching us. Not the little guy in red with horns on your shoulder and the little guy with a halo in white on your other shoulder. That's not the way I envision this. But I do see that we have angels that are watching out for us and we have uh, demons that would like to influence us. You say, well, Satan made, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil isn't omnipresent. He is just one being. 
And so if, if the devil made you do it, you must be a pretty powerful, godly person to have the devil himself do it. Because he can only be one place at one time. But he's got an army, a host of those that do influence us. And somebody says, well, you know, they're haunting the house of my grandma. And they're doing things that only, only uh, grandpa would know. Or No, uh, the, the demon knows all about me. He knows my weaknesses. He knows what it takes. What, uh, he doesn't know my thinking. They're not omniscient. They don't know everything. But they do know what draws my attention. They do know what I gravitate toward when nobody's watching. They do know, do know my appetites because they have been around. Uh, when I'm thinking nobody's watching, somebody's watching uh, besides God. And so they do know this. But what happens then to our bodies when they, they're put in the carcass or the body is put into the grave? What happens um, before we receive our transformed bodies? I don't want to get ahead of myself here, and I kind of am, but we receive transitional bodies. From the last heartbeat until the last trumpet of God, as it says here in that verse we read, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. What happens before that last trump? From the last heartbeat to the last trump, from your fresh grave to your resurrected body or bones. Uh, what happens? I want us to see that Adam was created a body first, and then God breathed into him the breath of life. So at no time has there been a, a, a spirit without a body. See, so we have these bodies. What happens when the body dies? The spirit is going to receive a transitional body. And we have some scripture that we're going to be looking at a little bit that, that kind of give us a, a hint of what this body must be like. We're looking through a glass darkly, yes, we are. But we are seeing things in scripture that can encourage us. And sometimes we don't know scripture well enough, and so we're discouraged when we should not be. Uh, there was never a moment when a human being has existed without a body. I might, I might tell you, if, if, uh, if you uh, are interested in heaven and you want to know all there is about heaven, you won't find it all in this book because we won't know till we get there. But Randy Alcorn has written his book called Heaven, a very good reference book. Now, if you want to know all about heaven, and you don't, but you just don't want to know that much about heaven, then you read Randy Alcorn's other book called In Light of Eternity. And if you all swore by God that you would read both these books, we would just go to the picnic right now. This is, I, I received a lot of the information comes from these books. Uh, but I doubt it. Uh, you know, all you ladies might read those books, but you guys, uh, there are no pictures to color, so I, I do not have high hopes about that. So... We get some kind of an in-between body, right? Uh, that's what I want you to see. That they, they lay my 
body into a casket that I make by myself. Uh, and and the, everybody knows it's going to be rotted soon. But it goes down, I go into the grave. I will get a loner. It, but it's going to kind of be like my, my car is acting up, so I pull it into Joe's down here on, on 210, and, and uh, I say, can you fix it? He looks at it, and he says, oh, well, you know, this is the 2002, which it is. It's the 2002. Yeah, yeah. What are you trying to tell me? Uh, it's not going to last forever, and I realize that. The older I get, it's not going to last forever. Um, it, you know, it's starting to bulge in places that shouldn't be bulging, and, and I, I, I lose what I want to keep, and I gain what I wish I could lose. And so I, I realize that, but so when it's late and great, I get a loner. So J Joe says, yeah, I can fix this, but it's like resurrecting the dead. It's going to take some time. While you're waiting, I'm going to give you a loner. And he says, right around the corner, here's the keys. I walk around the corner, here's this Corvette. Now, this has never happened to me. This is just a make-up story, right? But as long as I'm making it up, I'm going to make it a Corvette. And so I get a Corvette to drive until my, my old vehicle is transformed. I get a loner. While we wait for verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15, we get loners. Loners are a lot better than what we left behind. A reason I know that is because Paul said, I, I could stay here with you or I could go to be with the Lord, which would be far better. And that word far means no comparison. It's the, wow, a Corvette. This is great. I hope he never gets my car finished, and I can have this. Uh, but the in-between here, um, the, uh, some of the verses that we use for this, found in Revelation, and we're not going to look specifically at it this morning. We are, before we finish this, in the next uh, uh, three weeks after today, I want to try to get as much done as I can, but we're going to look at Revelation chapter 6, and the martyrs in heaven, these martyrs were believers that are killed during the tribulation time, so it's a little different than us, because we are taken out before the tribulation time, but the martyrs are killed, and they're being housed under the altar of God, and these martyrs are crying out and uh, saying, when will, be, when, when will our blood be avenged? When will you t deal with these people that have killed us, have rejected you, and uh, cursed your name? When are you going to do that? Well, we know some of this, they're, they're in a transitional body at this time. Because the Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, their resurrection happens at the end of the tribulation. And so right now, they're in some kind of a body because they're dressed in robes, so they, they can hold material, fabric. They have voices, and they're crying out. They have memories, which we're going to see in the future, that just because we go to heaven doesn't mean we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to forget all we know down here. Now, we will have memories in heaven. But uh, they're in their in-between body. We will get a, a 
uh, transitional body as well. The Apostle John, he visits heaven to write, so that he can write the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he is caught away from the Isle of Patmos. He's being held there as a prisoner. And he's caught away off that island. He's taken up to heaven. And he visits heaven. And it appears that he had a body when he goes. Because they hand him a book. And he grasps this book, it says. And so spirits, if you're going to hold a book, uh, if you've got spirit hands, it falls right through. But he grasps this book. Then he's told to eat this book. And so he's got a mouth. He chews this book. And it says, it will be sweet in your mouth, but it will become bitter in your stomach. And so he has some kind of a, of a body that is able to be in the presence of heaven. Some kind of a transitional body. The Apostle Paul was caught up into the third heaven. Uh, in the third heaven, what, what does that mean? I think we all kind of know that the first heaven is... is uh, what we will enjoy this afternoon, if the Lord holds the rain off. In it, it, he will. Uh, the birds that sing and fly and the planes that go overhead and the trees that grow up and we walk in this first heaven and we enjoy uh, this first heaven. The second heaven is the heavens declare the glory of God and his handiwork, the stars and the planets. Uh, that's uh, outer space, is second heaven. Paul was caught away and taken to the third heaven. And the third heaven was where he talked with God, or more likely Jesus Christ, there in the third heaven. And what he said was, I went to heaven, to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Because it was strange. He says, this was a bizarre experience. I, I didn't have my body, yet maybe I did. I think what he was doing was trying to explain uh, his transitional body. I, I can't really explain it. But some way, he was able to be there and have some type of a body. So we don't receive our resurrected or our transformed bodies right after our life on earth ends. There's a, it's a group thing, as we see here. Um, transitional bodies. What we get until we get our glorified body and what unbelievers get before their body, their eternal body, is given to them. The uh, New Testament saints, we get our glorified bodies at the rapture. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to read these uh, common verses. I read them all the time and we draw comfort from it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, no, chapter 4, verse 13. I'm just going to go ahead and read these while you're looking it up. But, uh, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Uh, their bodies have already been put in the grave, is what Paul is saying. But he says it's asleep. Their body is asleep, but they're not asleep. 
their body is with Jesus, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the picture given to us in 1 Thessalonians, along with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that those that die, their souls are with the Lord, their transitional bodies are with the Lord, and their body that hasn't been glorified is still buried in the earth or scattered by ashes across the land or in some lake or or wherever your body body winds up, your physical body, eventually that joins your transitional body. It is glorified. That's for New Testament saints. Old Testament saints, their resurrection is seen in Revelation chapter 20. And so I'm going to read those verses. They are in a different Resurrection, Revelation 20, verses 4 and 5. And I saw thrones, and there they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands. This is all going on during the tribulation time when these Old Testament saints, because the tribulation is really just an extension of the Old Testament time. The Holy Spirit is taken off of the earth at that time. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So... uh, uh, I jumped ahead a little bit. Old Testament saints, the end of the tribulation, the unbelievers at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then verse 5 there, the thousand years were finished, the millennial reign of Christ. This is the resurrection of the unbelievers. Three times, three resurrections. Only one is called the rapture. The other is called the resurrection of the saints. And a thousand years later is the resurrection of the unbelievers. Until that time, they're all in transitional bodies. They're all in loners. Now, the loners for the unbelievers are not the same kind of loner uh, that believers have. At least the outcome for them isn't. Our loner gets to go immediately to be with Christ and enjoy Him and enjoy Similar to what we have now, I believe. Uh, Different, I know, but far better than what we have. For the unbeliever, they will experience torment. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, then you're going to face torment in a transitional body. And after all of that torment that takes place, you still will be judged at the great white throne, judgment seat of Christ. Revelation 20 tells us that. And then your transformed body will be cast into the lake of fire. Just a a terrible picture, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. If, If I had an enemy, I wouldn't wish that on him. The believers in heaven with joy, unbelievers in hell with torment. 
Now, there are at least two questions that, that can come up. And one is, well, what about, what about uh, Enoch and Elijah? Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Well, what does that mean? Uh, God can do whatever he wants. He didn't get my permission to do this, but apparently he took Enoch and he translated, he just took him away. I don't know what happened to his body. Did it change into a transitional body? Because he doesn't get his glorified body until, or did he make an exception and give him a glorified body right there? No, he's probably still in Elijah the same way. He went up into heaven in a whirlwind. A chariot drove between him and Elisha, and Elisha saw him go up in this whirlwind. And so his body isn't laying down here anyway. At least it does not see appear to from Scripture. But God can do whatever he wants. But the rest of us, we, uh, we know a little more that is going to happen to us. Uh, Moses, I know that he went up on the mount, looked at the promised land from a distance, and then uh, God buried him. And the Israelites, they looked for him for a month. They couldn't find him. They, they mourned and grieved for him for a month. Uh, and they never found him. So I'm don't, not sure where he went. But uh, Jesus' account of Lazarus and the rich man gives us an idea about our bodies. And, and I hope that if this isn't just information. I'm hoping that you're seeing heaven is going to be so much better than what I thought. Uh, Lazarus, the, the beggar, he would, he would get the scraps off of the rich man's table. And I believe this is an account. It isn't a parable. Jesus never used a parable with, with uh, names. And so I don't believe that this is a parable. And he's telling an account. Lazarus dies. He goes to Abraham's bosom, which at the time was in, in the earth. And a great gulf fixed between it and Hades. The rich man dies, he goes to Hades. And so, are just their souls there? No. Because uh, the rich man cries out vocal cords. Vocal cords. He cries out. He sees Lazarus on the other side of the gulf. And I doubt if many other, I think God arranged this so that he could. And so he sees eyeballs. He sees uh, Lazarus over there, he cries out to him and he says, will you come and dip your, dip your finger in water and come and let it drip onto my tongue. He has a tongue, he's parched, he's, he's suffering. He's not a spirit, he is suffering. And Lazarus isn't a spirit because he's got a hand and he's got fingers. And so he has a transitional body. Both had memories. I remember you had the good things in this life. And Lazarus had the bad things. I, I remember those things. Uh, and he says, remember, I've got five brothers. Go back and witness to them. He's, he's, memory, he's got memories of these things. Both of them had identities. They recognized each other. When we get to heaven, we will recognize each other. Tra transitional bodies and transformed bodies, both. We will recognize each other. Uh, both went to real places, heaven and hell, or at that time it was Abraham's bosom and Hades. And so these bodies have a future, transitional 
then transformed. And uh, these bodies have a home, heaven for believers, and hell for those that are not believers. But what is heaven like? Uh, we don't spend all of our time in heaven, so we should know that. Uh, because we have jobs we need to do. We have things upon this earth for a thousand years that we have to do on this old earth. Uh, visiting with Dick Dean, and, and one of the reasons why I began this series on our bodies in heaven is because of my visits with Dick. And, and uh, he said, what am I going to do in heaven? Because he is a, an architect. He is a, a mechanical engineer. He's, he's always thinking. He's always planning. And he was grieving that he had not finished all of these projects that he had started. There are so many projects I didn't get to. I didn't get to finish. Got him. He said, I've got stuff buried underground all over the place. Well, I knew what he was talking about because he's showed me it's not uh, barrels of gold. It is uh, the, the beginnings of lakes and, and waterfalls and uh, things to turn his property out there. I said, maybe you'll get the opportunity to finish it during the millennium. We're not always going to be living in heaven, but what is heaven like? Um, we don't spend all our time there. Randy Elkhorn tells of a pastor who said this, a pastor who said this, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. So Randy asked him, why? He said, I can't, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. And he was a pastor. Well, he's got a, a bad theology in regards to heaven. But I think a lot of believers don't know what heaven is like. And so they, they have that picture. Or this is the picture. That heaven is like an endless church service. And for those of you that think 35 minutes is in eternity, you're thinking right now, ah, heaven forbid that that happens. Or it's a, an eternal sing-along. And for those of you that really don't get too excited about singing, you're saying, ah, maybe hell isn't such a bad idea after all. Now there's a great difference between the two, but I want you to know that this is not the biblical picture of heaven. There's a far side cartoon that showed a man. He's sitting on a cloud and he's got this bored expression on his face. He's got a halo on his head, dressed in a robe, and he's got angel wings, <laughs> which uh, I'm not going to promise you we will not have angel wings. God would give you a set just to make me look bad. Um, but he's sitting there with angel wings. And we can read his thought bubble. His thought bubble is, I wish I'd brought a magazine. But that's the way people think heaven is going to be. 
you might have some ideas about heaven. I hope this morning at least whet your appetite about heaven. There will be no comparison from this life to the next. Jesus said, I am preparing a place for you. (laughs) When you think about that, I, the master carpenter, the master creator, I am building a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you will be also. Jesus is saying those words like a groom to his fiance. I hope you see a little romance in that. Nudge your husband, wake him up, and say, Think about romance. Uh, because that's what he was saying. I, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you know that there is nothing boring about any of God's creation. I mean, even the little things. You know, Ruby and Hazel and uh, Reagan, they run around, and you'll see them running around in our backyard, and they will be looking for little toads. They're this big. And you'll see these little blonde-headed girls running around with buckets, gathering little beautiful toads. We look at them and say, yeah, ugly things. They are fascinating. There is nothing that God has created that is not fascinating. Nothing from the ugliest toad to the funniest-looking snake. They are they're beautiful. Now, we hate snakes because of Satan in the garden, but uh, they are beautiful. And he is creating a home for us. And so here's the groom that is, is on his knee, and he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and looks lovingly into her eyes and says, someday I'm going to come and take you to be there so that you and I can spend eternity with there, with, uh, together there. And the groom and the bride should be thrilled. She should, she should gush over the fact that he's going to do this. She should be, reach a place where she can't wait to go to heaven. Now, we've got to wait. We do not end our lives. That's God's uh, plan. But there should be an anticipation there. But maybe you don't have an anticipation. Then if you don't have an anticipation of going to heaven, something is wrong. You're the, you're the fiancé that says, oh, whatever. Don't bother. Don't hurry. Don't rush back. Because I'm in love with the world. And all of the things in the world that I get, look at how great it is here. You know, all of the things that I get to experience and and I can't wait for retirement and I can't wait until we can travel and I can't wait, all of these things. And the groom is, what? Don't you know what heaven is like? It's going to be far better than anything you could find here. I think it would, and it probably does, Hurt his feelings to see us clinging to our mouse-infested hovels and wanting one more day to live, one more day to cling to this old carcass when Jesus is saying, I've got something far better, far better, prepared just for you. 
So does the thought of heaven lift your spirits, put a smile on your face, or and make, it makes you excited, or does it discourage you? We look through, there are reasons why, and we won't look at those now, but there are reasons why we might be discouraged about heaven. I want to, it was in uh, 1952. A young Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island and uh, determined to swim to the shore of mainland California. She had already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam and swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in a boat alongside begged her, told her that she was close and that she could make it. So she continued again. Finally, physically and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half a mile away. At the news conference the next day, she said through tears, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think that's a problem with a lot of us Christians. All we can see is the fog. Partly maybe because we as pastors don't describe heaven or we describe it in such a way that uh, your eyes roll back and say, ah, oh, I'm not sure I want to go there. It's not like that. It is far better. We need to get to know Jesus better. We need to get to know heaven better. And so I invite you to come back the next three weeks and just give you a taste of what heaven will be like. Let's close. Lord, thank you for your word. Forgive us when we are not interested enough to find out what heaven's going to be like. Maybe we're nonchalant about it and we really don't care because we are satisfied with this world. In fact, often we love it, we grasp it, and we hate to let go. But Lord, uh, in the next few weeks, I pray that you will ignite in us a passion, a love for you and for the place that you prepared for us. If there's someone here that does not know you, Lord, I'm asking the Holy Spirit might just begin to twist their soul into knots that they might say, I've got to have my sins forgiven, that they might realize that through Jesus Christ we are forgiven, that you paid the price, and without Jesus Christ we pay the price of an eternity apart from God in a place of torment. So Lord, I pray that those, if there be any, that they might trust you as Savior. Encourage us to be lookers for heaven. Please, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.